Welcome to the premium sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. It's Monday and it's time for an instant classic. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Thanks for supporting World Evangelism with your premium subscription and enjoy today's sermon. Thank you, musicians, platform workers. Appreciate your help. Open your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2. It is a good day. My girls are back from Australia. Thank you, Jesus. Man was not meant to be alone. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2. USA Today had a, uh, an article uh, last week, or about a week ago. The title of it said, Web and Reality TV Help Make Porn Pervasive said that porn used to be uh, relegated to a video hidden in the bottom drawer or a magazine under the mattress. Today it's part of everyday life. Hugh Hefner's girlfriends have become TV's girls next door. So the message is clear. In today's world, sex doesn't just sell. The pervasiveness of porn has made sexiness from subtle to raunchy a much sought-after attribute online, at school, and even at work. Many agree that the trend has had a particularly strong influence on young women. In some cases, taking shape as an unapologetic embracing of sexuality and exhibitionism. And I say that unfortunately, sexuality and exhibitionism, which uh, is wanting to show it, has even pervaded the church. There have been times when I have uh, been shocked at uh, what uh, girls... Ladies uh, have uh, entered the house of God wearing, and I want to stop them and say, excuse me, the nightclub's down the street. And then I realize, oh, you meant to actually dress like this. And that is a very strange concept to me. In the scripture we're going to read, we're going to see what God has to say. Paul writes to Pastor Timothy. He gives him some biblical guidelines. It's very interesting, all the things about doctrine, about discipleship, about all the things. And in there, he inserts a mandate from God. He says, I need you to speak to the ladies about how they dress when they come to church. I want to preach a sermon. I've entitled, The Nightclub is Down the Street. From 1 Timothy 2, verse 9 and 10, if you want to read with me. And uh, the Bible says there, In like manner also... That women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair, gold, or pearls, or costly array, but that which becomes or is fitting with women who profess godliness with good works. The nightclub is down the street. I want to look at uh, the first thought as we begin. I want to talk about sexualizing our culture. We live in a culture today that is radically different than it was 40 years ago. And one of the areas that the world has changed has to do with the area of people getting attention or fame. There once was a time in which people became famous, they received attention, and it used to be based on achievement. They would have parades for people. They would put them on magazine covers 
because they had done something of great daring and of great skill. They had flown a solo across the ocean. They had discovered a cure for a disease. They had done something powerful. That is what got attention. In our society, things have changed to where people today, our society is absolutely attention mad. It is attention crazy. Our society worships celebrities. And a celebrity is no longer someone who has a great talent or a great skill. A celebrity today is someone who is simply good at getting attention. Our world today equates attention with value. In other words, if people notice me, I am therefore worth more, and I must be worthless if I am not noticed. Eileen Zerbergen, a psychologist at University of California, Santa Cruz, said these words, to be sure it can make you feel powerful to know that you're arousing strong feelings in other people, that you have their attention and ad, uh, an admiration. Now think about this. So we have a world that worships celebrity. People will do anything to gain attention, to get their names in line, to get people talking about them, to get their uh, photo taken. But the method or the means of gaining attention has changed from achievement to now. Sexuality has become the number one means of gaining attention. Let me give you a, a short history lesson of some sea changes in our society. There once was a time in which in order to be famous as a singer, you had to be able to sing. You may remember these days. I know I'm talking dinosaur days. You want to be a singer? Can you sing? That was the question. In the early 80s, Madonna changed all that. Madonna cannot sing, and I'm speaking as a musician. But Madonna is very clever at gaining attention, and be, knowing that she cannot sing well, instead, what she did is she took her clothes off, pranced around on stage in her underwear and a pointy bra, said outrageous comments to guarantee that she got attention, and she sold albums, and she cannot sing. And since then, uh, she was one of the, the major ones. I'm sure there's others, but uh, uh, a sea change. Elizabeth Hurley was the unknown girlfriend of uh, an actor, Hugh Grant, no one knew who she was, attended the Academy Awards in a dress that was held together. The dress was barely there, and it was held together by safety pins. And they snapped her, and uh, in newspapers around the world, pictures of a woman. Here you can see everything that's on there. And she gets attention. She's never done a thing, but now she suddenly became famous and launched a career off the back of that she doesn't wear any clothes, and she lets everybody see it. This brings us to modern days. Paris Hilton. Here's a girl who cannot sing, cannot act, has never done anything in life of any talent or skill. But what she did do, she's a, 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 you know, a wealthy girl. She was about to have a, a TV show. And two weeks before the TV show... Uh, a videotape got leaked and they say that she's the one who leaked it. It was a videotape of her having sex with her boyfriend, which guaranteed that she got attention. In, in the Prescott Courier, for crying out loud, what do we care about Paris Hilton in Prescott, Arizona? Two-thirds of a page it had the other day. 
on Paris stinking Hilton. This girl makes $7 million a year. People pay her to go to parties and to attend openings of stores. She's done nothing except take her clothes off and be videotaped having sex. But this is the world. It is attention mat. And so what's happened then is that our society, those are just a few examples, of our society has become sexualized. Our society wanting attention now equates sexuality with worth. That it is directly connected to the way that women dress. Sharon Lamb is the co-author of Packaging Girlhood, Rescuing Our Daughters. From marketer's scheme, she said, even influences that are less explicitly erotic often tell girls uh, that who they are equals how they look and that beauty commands attention. Our society has been sexualized. This is what has happened. And what sexualizes, think about this. What sexualizes a nightclub is how women dress. If women did not come to nightclubs dressed sexually, uh, in a sexually provocative manner, it would not have the same atmosphere. But this is what's happened in our society. The society as a whole, it's not just a few people in Hollywood. Right on down the line in the opening article, the way that women dress today used to be the way Playboy bunnies, porn stars used to dress like that. Now the girl next door because our society has become more and more and more sexualized. Proverbs 7 verse 10 says, Behold, there met him a woman with the attire or the clothing of a harlot or a prostitute. Now one of the problems here is that when you read scriptures, and I've, I've uh, watched the, uh, the looks on faces to see Pastor Mitchell talk about girls who dress like whores, and to see girls in the church, and it totally, they make no connection, even with that word, with the way that they are dressed. What is the attire of a harlot or a prostitute? It is simply this. It means that you are wearing clothes to entice men. It is clothes that you wear to reveal or to accentuate uh, uh, sexual parts. It is clothing that is worn to make men think of sex. Here's a quote. It said, in the past few years, a decline in morality has spiraled, uh, spiraled downward so rapidly for the first time in history, the attire of prostitutes has become the fashion of the day. This has become totally normal. That's why I say I have wanted to preach this for a long time because I have seen how Christian girls are not making the connection with how they're dressed, with even the word whore or prostitute or immoral. It's like they make no connection the way I'm dressed. But listen to me, why does a prostitute dress to accentuate or draw attention to her breasts, her bottom, her thighs, or her crotch? Why? To get sexual attention from men. So why, in the name of heaven, would you come to the house of God with clothes that draw attention to your sexual parts just like a prostitute would? The Washington Times had an article, and notice, ladies, who it is who's calling out. It's the men. You should notice that. 
Washington Times had an article, it's called Goodbye to Girlhood. It said 10-year-old girls can slide their low-cut jeans over their eye candy panties. French maid costumes, garter belt included, are available in pre-teen sizes. Barbie now comes in a bling-bling style replete with halter top and go-go boots. And it's not unusual for girls under 12 to sing, don't you wish your girlfriend was hot like me? American girls say experts are increasingly being fed a cultural catnip of products and images that promote looking and acting sexy. When do little girls start wanting to look good for others? Deborah Rothman, a Baltimore-based sex educator, said a few years ago, that was age six or seven, now I think girls start to wanting to look good for others at age four. While some might argue that today's belly-bearing tops are no more risque than hip-huggers were in the 70s, Rothman, who's a sex educator, disagrees. Kids have always emulated adult things, she says, but years ago, it was... This is who I am supposed to be, uh, or that's who I'm supposed to be as an adult. It's very different today. The message to children today is, you already are like an adult. It's okay for you to be interested in sex. It's okay for you to dress and act sexy right now. That is an entirely different frame of reference. So one of the things that, that uh, has happened in our society is that this sexualizing of our culture has become so common and so pervasive that modern women cannot see anything wrong with the way they dress and make no connection what a pastor mentions from the pulpit, the way women dress. They, they, they probably think to themselves, yeah, and I know a whore just like that. George Orwell said that we have now sunk to a depth at which the restatement of the obvious is the duty of intelligent men. Having laid that foundation, let's talk about the sexualizing of the church. The devil's agenda is this. He is not satisfied with influencing the world. He wants to influence the church. This is what is incredible. The world's values, which is attention equals worth. How do you get attention? Sexuality. Those values have invaded the church. South Africa, my, uh, uh, my daughter went to school with a, a little girl. <clears throat> These people were good Christians. They were good charismatic Christians. They went to the largest church uh, uh, in the area. Mother owned a, a beauty salon of, of some kind. <clears throat> Mom, good Christian woman that she was, she got breast implants as a Christian. To me, that's very, very strange to begin with. But what is especially strange about this story is what she told her 13-year-old daughter, my daughter's friend. She said, if you don't have a decent set of breasts by the time you're 18, I'll get you some. This is a woman who stands with her cleavage top, with Jesus on the cross, smothered in the middle, lifting her hands, singing, holy, holy, holy on Sundays. And she's nothing wrong with that. This is who you are if you get sexual attention. And if you're not going to get enough sexual attention, I'll help you out, girl. Because that is the way that the world is. It's come in. And so what's happened, I wish I could say that that was the evil people of South Africa. It is common today to see girls 
women and wives who dress for sexual attention, God forbid, in our church. Women who come to church in low-cut tops, who come in short skirts, who come in see-through material, skirts with slits up their thigh, who wear things that are skin tight. I don't know if you ever seen this. There's uh, something you can buy if you travel for packing so you can fit more space. You put your clothes in this bag and you attach a vacuum and suck all the air out of it. Every wrinkle, every little thing, it will... You know, there are some ladies when they walk into church, I'm looking for the hose connection. How did you get that so tight? And lo and behold, where is it tight? On the sexual parts. They come to church showing their bras, their underwear, their thongs for crying out loud. I've pastored girls that I've had to tell them, you know when you answer the altar call on holiness and you bend forward and we can see your thong underwear? Don't ever... Let me see that again. In the house of God. Listen, girls, if you come to church and you're always pulling it down to make sure that it's too short, dear. If you're always got to go like this, it's too low, dear. If you always got to go like this, it's too short. Don't wear it to church. The nightclub's down the street. So, let's talk first of all about the ignorance factor. Now, it is possible that there are girls here that because you're raised in church, you've been so protected, you are unaware of the impact that your clothes have on other men. I then will give you a simple explanation about life. God has created men. They are sight-oriented. That means that God made them how sex begins is normally because a man sees something that makes him think about sex. This is a major difference and a bone of contention between men and women in marriage. This is something I have to explain to married people sometimes. God made men, their sexual urges are triggered by the sight of women's bodies by a hint or a clear view of breasts, bottoms, or legs. If you have some other predilection, we won't even go there today. <laughs> but this is the way that God made men. It is a fact of life. This is not, listen to me here. I'm going to talk about some things, men. This does not excuse you. You cannot say, well, what could I do? They were dressed like that, so I had to look. No, that is not the point of what I'm saying. But this is a fact of life. Proverbs 7.10, there met a woman there with the attire of a harlot. Why was she wearing sexually revealing clothes? To get him to think about sex. This is what happens when men see women's bodies. In the scripture uh, uh, that we read, it gives a fascinating word because here, here's the problem. And apparently Paul had to uh, uh, deal with this in the church that Timothy pastored is that women were coming to church and, and uh, you know, it's pretty bad in our sexualized society. <coughs> open the, uh, uh, everywhere you look, you open the paper, 
You're going to read the paper. There's going to be advertising in which the message, it doesn't mean that it's out and out pornography, but the message is sexuality. You go to work, there is sexuality. At school, there's sexuality. Everywhere, God help us when men come to the house of a holy God and are assaulted by the sight of women who are dressed for sexual attention. This is why he writes in 1 Timothy 2.9, and like men or women ought to adorn or dress themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness. And in the King James, it uses a great word is with sobriety. When you dress, dress with sobriety. He is not telling the ladies, don't get dressed when you're drunk. That is not what the word means. That Some ladies, that would explain a lot. But... <coughs> The word sobriety literally means to involve the mind. What he's saying there is when you get dressed, think. What is it that you're thinking about? One of the things that you have to think about is the effect that your clothing has on other, uh, other uh, uh, men and uh, when they're going to see you dressed like this. When you buy clothes, he says you need to buy your clothes with sobriety. You think when you buy your clothes. Ephesians 5 verse 3 says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity because this is improper for God's people. He does, hey man, I'm not, I'm not a prostitute. I'm not sleeping around. But what God says here, not even a hint. See, here's, here's the problem is that ladies come to the house of God, they're, 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 they're playing peekaboo in the house of God. It's just like a little hint. It's just kind of a flash. Just a small little taste. But that's okay, right? A little cleavage is okay, isn't it? Not even a hint, the Bible says. And I want to say to you, if we have girls who you're raised in the house of God and you were unaware of the uh, effect of, of the way you dress on men, let me say, parents, you bear responsibility here. Moms, we have uh, ladies here that you have daughters that are raised in church. They've never known what foul sinners are like, but you do. Do you, do you not remember, mom, when you used to dress like your little angel dresses come to our church? Have you forgotten the reaction that you used to get from boys? Dads, have you forgotten when you were not saved what you used to be thinking when you saw a girl in skimpy clothing? And I bet it wasn't Bible study. So how is it that you can see your daughter going out the door and go, that's nice. Talk about a second thing. How you dress is a character as you. The Christian girls want to deny this. The argument that Christian girls want to say is, I'm a good girl. I'm a virgin. I just dress this way because it's the fashion. I just dress this way for comfort. It's hot. But I'm a good girl. No, 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 listen to me. The way you dress is a character statement. Imagine for a moment, you get robbed at gunpoint. You run out looking for help. You see a man in policeman's uniform. He's got a badge, handcuffs, shoes, gun, radio. You say, help me, I've been robbed. He looks at you puzzled. He says, I can't help you. You say, what do you mean? You're a policeman, aren't you? He says, oh, I'm not a policeman. I just dress this way. It's the fashion. It's comfortable. What is the application of this story? Is that there are Christian girls who say, I'm not sleazy. 
I just dress this way. It's the fashion. But this is a character issue. The way you dress reveals what kind of character you have. Number one, how you dress reveals where your values lie. Listen, when you take your fashion cues from whores, that's what you love. You got it from Brittany. You got it from Snake Aguilera. Yeah, they're whores. They are immoral and flaunting it. You are making a statement when you dress like them. That's what I love. That's what I really wish I was. Secondly, is you reveal that you have no respect for others. When you come dress for sexual attention in our church, you have no respect for the pastors. You have no respect for the men in the church. You have no respect for the other ladies who have husbands in our church. You are telling us what kind of character you have. And thirdly, you are revealing that you have no self-control. You are saying, I can't say no to my desires for the good of other people. But I like it. The issue is not, do you like it? The issue is, what's good for everybody else? The word that is used in verse 9, or Titus 2.5 rather, that the women ought to be discreet, chaste, self-controlled, and pure. Able to say no to their fleshly desires. Is a character issue. Thirdly, how you dress is not merely a matter of personal preference. We live in America, and by golly, in America, we are into our rights. Right? I have the right. I can do anything. I can dress how I want, because this is America. It's fascinating to me that Pastor Paul writes to Pastor Timothy. He's giving direction from God. He says, you tell the ladies, it's not up to them. They do not have the right to come dress however they want. You have a Christian responsibility in choosing your clothes and wearing your clothes. Titus 2.5, that'll be discreet and chaste, so that the word of God not be blasphemed. There's a testimony issue to sinners. Listen, when sinners dress like this, they know what they're on about. You're not going to convince a Christian girl when you dress like a, or, or a sinner girl, when you dress like a snake, she knows, girls who dress like that, what they're on about. You're not going to convince her that you're pure. There's a testimony issue. And beyond that, this is the house of God. You have an obligation. It's not a matter of personal prayer. The pastor, he says, you stand in front of the church and you tell the ladies. This is from God. I have a message from God. The message from God is, when you come to the house of God, you're going to think about the way you dress. Because you do not have the right to come to the house of God and, uh, and distract or cause men in the church to sin. As I say, this is not an excuse that, well, hey, what could I do? We had a while back in our church, sweet little snake who came to church and was dressed so outrageously as she pranced down the aisle showing everything that she has a new convert said out loud why you snaky slut now why did the new convert say that in the house of God we're trying to get our converts out of that lifestyle and they come to church and are assaulted by that Lord, help us. Some of you are more offended that I said slut than that you dress like one. 
1 Corinthians 8, 9 says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Romans 14, 21, It's better not to eat meat, drink wine, or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. Let's close with one last thought. Let's talk about sanctifying the church. The issue at stake here is far larger than respect or being rude. The real issue is the atmosphere of the church. Atmosphere. I said to you that our society has been sexualized. This has become the norm. Girls next door dress in provocative clothing. What's happening, the devil wants to sexualize the church. He wants the atmosphere. He wants it to take on a sexual edge in an atmosphere. You see, atmosphere in life... Atmosphere in normal uh, terms in the natural is temperature and humidity. Atmosphere determines whether things grow or don't grow. And I want to say to you in a church, the spiritual atmosphere of the church determines whether the seed of the Word of God grows or not. Think about three aspects of atmosphere that are affected by modesty or immodesty. Number one, it has to do with the liberty of the Holy Spirit. When we come to church, we are creating an atmosphere, and what we want is not just to have a program or sing songs. We want the Holy Spirit. We want God himself to be here. His name is Holy Spirit. You can make him feel welcome or not welcome. You ever been to a house? You ever been to some people's house and you just don't feel welcome by the way they have it arranged or the way they're treating you? And other houses, you, you're comfortable, you're, you, you're, you're totally at ease there. Churches are like that. Churches have an atmosphere in which the Holy Spirit feels either welcome to be in our midst and help us, or he does not feel welcome at all, and holiness is, is a part of that. See, impurity in any form repels the Holy Spirit. The story of Noah and the ark after the rain stops, and, a, and a, they went through an interval or a time period. Noah does something interesting. Is there a place for us to get off the boat now? The Bible says he chooses out one of the animals, which was a dove, and he releases a dove out of the window. You know that a dove in the Bible is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says here would be, no doubt, thousands, hundreds of thousands of dead things, animals and, and uh, bodies that would have been floating there. And the only place to land was something rotten, or dead, and the Bible says the dove could find no rest and came back. In other words, he says, I don't want to be out there. Why? Because there's dead things. There's impure. See, that's what happens in, in a church. There are churches that have an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit says, no thanks. I'm not at home here because the atmosphere is impure. It is sexualized. There's a second thing. There's an atmosphere of conversion and discipleship. Revelations 2, 20 through 23 says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality, eating food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality and she's unwilling. Therefore, I'll cast her on a bed of suffering. I'll make all those who commit adultery with her to suffer intensely 
unless they repent of her ways, verse 23 says, and I will strike her children dead. So God, God says, in an atmosphere of impurity, what is at stake here is that which is birthed. He says it's the children birthed in that atmosphere that are going to die. Listen to me, if we allow the atmosphere of our church to be worldly, or to be sexualized, or to be immoral, it is that which is birth that will die. That has to do with children who are born in our church, whether they stay living for God. It certainly has to do with new converts. Because in an atmosphere, I've watched this, in a sexualized atmosphere, you cannot get radical conversions. This is a, this is a powerful principle. Listen. What we want is radical conversions. I don't want people simply to attend the potter's house. I want them to come and be totally different than they used to be. But listen to me, that will never happen in an atmosphere in which God's people are not much different than outside. You act like the people on the outside. You dress like the people outside. What's the difference? We go to church. I'm busy on Sundays. Conversions are hurt in a sexualized atmosphere. And not only that, discipleship. Numbers 25, the Bible speaks about a man named Phineas who exercises righteous judgment on immorality. God gives him a promise. You can read it for yourself in all of chapter 25. But the promise he gives is his seed will have an everlasting priesthood. In other words, the impact of desiring righteousness is that he'll have men in ministry. Discipleship is destroyed in a sexualized atmosphere. And thirdly, there's an atmosphere of modest influence. In an atmosphere of revival and purity, when that is dominant, new convert girls who come in, listen to me. My concern is not for the girls who've been saved a month and they still haven't learned that, you know, only Superman is the one who shows his underwear. Okay, they'll learn that in time. I'm not worried about new converts. I'm worried about the girls who've been raised in this church. I'm worried about girls who you name the name of Jesus, ladies, wives, for crying out loud, who say you're saved, but your dress says otherwise. That's who I'm concerned about. Because in an atmosphere of righteousness, you know what happens? Is that new convert girls, when they come in, there's something that happens. What we have to have here is not the clothes police. I know there's some people, you'd be volunteering today. Can I be the clothes police? You'd be willing to meet the girls at the door and sort everybody out. That is not my point here. My point in preaching this is not, I want all the ladies wearing burkas tomorrow, you know. <laughs> that is not the point. But when you have modesty is the overriding spirit. You know what happens, new converts? I hear testimonies of girls, when I got saved, naturally they begin to think, you know what? I need to cover up. Who did that? The Holy Spirit did. Because there's an atmosphere. I close with this. There's a threefold responsibility as we close. Number one, modesty is a personal responsibility. I say to every female here, you must dress in line with your salvation. I am not instituting the clothes police. I am not instituting burkas. But your clothes better reflect your salvation. First Timothy 2.10 says, how should they dress? That which is fitting for women who profess godliness. That's the standard. You, you name a holy God, but your clothes say something different. It's a personal responsibility. Number two, 
Modesty is a parental responsibility if your children are not uh, adults yet. You know, the real fact is that many parents are simply afraid. They're scared to death. Why is it? <clears throat> no, it's not that dad has forgotten what happens to men when he sees women dressed like his daughter. It's that he's afraid. He's afraid of the explosion if he dares say, No, mija, we're not wearing that to church. <sighs> and because he's afraid, he goes along with it. Okay, dear, whatever you want. He's afraid that if he dares should say, No, you're a Christian, you're not going to wear a halter top. That she's going to backslide and go to hell. Why is it you became a drug dealer and a prostitute? Because dad wouldn't let me wear a halter top. That's why it's all dad's fault. And because they're afraid, they will say nothing to their daughters and will let the entire church be violated by that which is their responsibility. And I say to you that that is wrong. You must not encourage your daughters to be immodest. That's a whole other strange thing is when women encourage their daughters to dress sexually. That's another issue. Very strange to me. Or you must not defend them when they're challenged. When someone is offended at the way your daughter's dressed, you better not defend them. When they say, you know what, it is offensive the way your daughter's dressed, you better not come to their rescue. <sighs> Don't say anything. There's a third thing then is that modesty is a pastoral responsibility. Pastors are the gatekeepers of the church. A gatekeeper is the one who protects that which is inside by determining what is allowed inside. In our scripture, Pastor Paul writes to Pastor Timothy and he says you need to deal with some issues for the good of the church. And one of those is you need to deal with how the women dress. Now, so I said, my frustration for a long time has been that girls don't get it. You talk about modesty, immorality, like all that's going through here is shh. <laughs> Let me say to you in closing is if you don't get it, if your parents don't see anything wrong with it, then the issue becomes Will this be acceptable to the pastors? That's when the pastors have to step in and say, no, 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 not here. The nightclub's down the street. If you want to go to the nightclub, that's how you dress at nightclubs. That's fine because those people are trying to attract sexual attention. In the house of God, we don't dress like that. I'm preaching this in the hope that you get revelation. There will be some of you that won't get it. There will be some of you that I've irritated you greatly. You'll be offended that I preach this, or you'll be offended if I have to speak to your little daughter. Not half as offended as I am. I declare to you, our church will not be sexualized. I've been very quiet and been very kind to some. I put you on notice today, no more. This church is a holy church. If you want to be snakes in the house of God, I can recommend numerous other churches who will never say a word. The potter's house, we're not going to dress like that. 
You know, in times of revival, it was common for people to clean house of idols and sexual images and things that offend God. I just say in closing, maybe it's time for us to have some personal revival. Maybe if we're going to have personal revival, maybe on the ladies' part, maybe you could have a house cleaning of some of the clothes in your closet. Maybe you could go through honestly and say, you know what, that one, I think it's okay if you don't get the revelation. Or if you think, Mom, but I don't think Pastor is going to appreciate that. That'd be good. Then maybe you need to donate it to Goodwill so that we can have revival. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Let's bow our heads and close our eyes all across this place.